there's these people outside like show you the power of our marketing program. Like I was like lighting a candle outside. These people are standing there. There's like three girls that are talking. One of them turns to the other like it could have been a commercial. She's like, what's Exodus? I see it every Sunday night. And the other girl says, it's an interactive forum. <laughs> and she goes, is it like church? And she goes, no, they like really wrestled with deep issues and stuff. I thought like we couldn't have, we couldn't have written that script, you know. Like We're creeping through the book of Matthew line by line. And just so that you know where we're headed, when we're done with the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to take a break. Probably on sources of Scripture, where we got it, how we got it, how you interpret it. A little bit on inerrancy, maybe, and fallibility, some of those topics. I think that might be where we're headed. So stay tuned for a while as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, I asked you to consider these verses. So what I want to do right now is I just want to settle for a moment on these verses. Jesus, having just gone through the Beatitudes, telling his disciples that they're salt and light, now kind of introduces the rest of the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Tonight we've got to wrestle with what was Jesus doing when he said these words. Let's pray and open up. Lord, we ask just for your light to illuminate this text for us. Holy Spirit, come into our presence and show us the things that we've often read and maybe not understood or skipped over. Tonight, Lord, bring understanding to our reading of your holy word. Pray this in your name. Amen. So here's what Jesus has done. He set up this statement. I'm not here to abolish, but to fulfill. It's not going to pass away until all is accomplished. Whoever knows the least of these commandments, he's kind of giving a warning, you'll be least in the kingdom. All right, let's pause for a moment. I want to highlight where we're about to go. Let me warn you, we're not going to debate these texts. I'm just going to show you some of the things he's about to say. Because he says, I'm not here to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it, okay? Let's just peek forward a little bit. Here's one of the things he's about to say, and we're going to be covering this probably next week. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's not debate the meaning of it. Just look at it. Does it seem to you, ask yourself this question, does it seem to you that he's changing something? It's a fair question. Here's another one. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Does that seem like maybe he's changing the law? One more. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is there a change? Remember, Jesus' words is, I've come not to abolish the law. All right, so you're saying, well, he's not really abolishing it there. He's maybe expanding on it or something. Good. But he also says, whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments, he might be least in the kingdom. And a lot of us kind of, maybe we just look at this, it doesn't make sense, and we just go, well, let's just plunge into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard enough for us to understand anyway. So maybe the whole thing is just to show us how far away we are from God. Let me remind you, by the way, while we're doing a preview now, we've kind of peeked forward. Let's peek backwards. What were some of those laws that when he says, if you annul the least of these commandments, what commandments are you talking about? Well, I just picked a few from Leviticus. Here's one. A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. But if she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks the woman will be unclean. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. That's from Leviticus 12, 1 through 5. Should we continue to practice this? How about this one? Of all the creatures living in the sea and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat their meat. Translation, anybody in here who's eating like shrimp, scallops, you know, any of those kind of things, like can't do that anymore. No lobster. Some of you are thinking, yes, I hate seafood. I knew I was right. No, that's not what it says. It says you can eat fish but you can't have any of those other things. So should we live according to that? That's from Leviticus 11, 9 through 12. Just a few more. All taken from Leviticus 19. Do not hold back wages of a hired man overnight. So no more weekly paychecks or every two weeks. Every day you've got to get paid. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Can't do that. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden, it must not be eaten. Okay? So if any of you are planting in your backyard any fruit trees, three years, off limits. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. It's a bummer that Erica's not here. Do not put tattoo marks on yourself because she wants to write a book about tattoos and stuff. Here's a verse. Do not put tattoo marks on yourselves. The word tattoo, is that really in there? Uh, it comes from the Hebrew tattoo-ono. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's the translation. <laughs> uh, that's the English translation. But the reason that it's a tattoo is because historically, the other cultures surrounding the Hebrews, they would like adorn their body with these same images and stuff that they do as a way of worship. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Check the tags on the back of your shirts right now. How many of them? are like a, some sort of cotton polyester blend, some sort of whatever, cotton wool, something, right? No. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. How many of us keep the Sabbath according to the way it was handed down in Leviticus? All right, so all that is by way of setting it up. You've seen what he's about to say when he says, I'm not coming to abolish, but to fulfill. 
and he's saying that you need to keep these commandments, what do these verses mean? Philip? I just have a question. Uh, do we know for sure that when he refers to the law of the prophets, that's referring to all of the Old Testament? Or do we know that or is that assumed? Yeah, the, the shorthand way of saying the whole Old Testament would be to have said the law and the prophets. Like you were basically saying the equivalent of our Old Testament by saying that. Okay. So, yeah, good question. Ben? What about in Ephesians, though, when it says he can't be abolished the law? Yeah. What, what is that, by the way? What, what verse is that in Ephesians? Are you citing from 2.15? Uh, yeah. Okay. Read it again. It says, um, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Yeah. It seems like that somehow... At least we have to consider when we're reading Jesus' words compared to Ephesians 2.15, and that's a good citation. Yeah. Another uh, idea that seems like he is abolishing it in a degree, uh, like in Mark, I don't know, probably a parallel passage in Matthew as well, I just don't know where it is. Um, he says, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? Like in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So if Leviticus said they weren't, and he's sort of saying the opposite. Right. It seems to be a little problematic. Morgan. We're not seeing, though, also something interesting. He says that I, like, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And so, obviously, I mean, there's a large argument that, that Jesus, first of all, was practicing Jew, uh, a practicing Jew, a rabbi, and he did fulfill these commandments. Uh, yeah, let me stick on that for a second. When he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law. Why would he even start with that statement? Do not think that I came to abolish the law. Is he anticipating the objection? I mean, why is he saying that? Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, he's given the Beatitudes, which we looked at. He gave the salt and light. But now we're going to get into where he seemingly, because, I mean, I think our whole discussion makes sense. Like, it seems like he's just overturning everything. And so, obviously, from a Jewish perspective, they would just say, well, he's just getting rid of the law. Like, he, this is heresy. This is ridiculous. And so I think he's setting himself up to say, I'm not abolishing these. I'm going to give you a new teaching here. But I'm actually the authoritative person behind this to begin with. I mean, he's going to fill that in later. But his whole idea is like he's going to set himself up as, this is my law. Like, this is my father. And, and I'm not here to overturn it. I'm here to fulfill it. Okay. It's either that he's anticipating that they're going to say it or that they are saying it. Remember, we talked about there's one possibility that Matthew's compiling together some materials to create the Sermon on the Mount in one reading. So it's possible that Jesus knows that among his other teachings, whether he's, this is literally the first time he's saying it or if he said it elsewhere, people are starting to think, hey, wait a minute, that changes the law. So he's actually anticipating it or he's responding. It's one of the two where he's actually saying, don't think that I've done it because maybe he's heard the charge already or he's about to. So he's not here to abolish the law or the prophets. I'd not come to abolish but to fulfill. That's a tough word. Philip. Fulfilling, in a sense, is changing as well. Like, in a sense, like it's, it's changing what something was before because it's fulfilled now and it wasn't before. So he's not saying I didn't come to change anything about the law. He's just saying using different words, like that I came, didn't come to abolish it, get rid of it completely. I came to fulfill it. And as we see throughout the rest, maybe create something new on top of that that is related to it. I don't know. Okay, no, I'm going to stick with you for a second. Because 
I hear what you're saying is, let's focus on abolish, right? You're saying that he didn't say, I didn't come to change it. He just said, I didn't come to abolish it, right? That sounds good. But then when you look at, like, the next part where it says, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away, it almost seems like if you read just the first part, then we're tracking. But if you start to read that not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away, that almost sounds like it's going to be preserved somehow, right? But in the sense of fulfill, like, he, he took care of it. Like, it, it's still there, but he, he's the one that followed those laws. That's, and again, I might be totally off base and completely saying Harrison, like, he's the one that fulfilled the Old Testament, so we don't have to. And therefore, like, even though it's all still there, it's all still accomplished in him, so we don't necessarily have the requirement to do all of it. Okay, okay. Right. Um, I kind of look at it, if you look at the second part, it says, uh, for I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Oh, okay, good. So there's a qualifier. Right. Still accomplish what he's doing to fulfill it, to abolish it. So you read it that when you get to the until all is accomplished, that qualifying phrase, that really is key because we've got to know when that is, right? I mean, it's not going to pass away until all is accomplished, right? So whatever that means, we should know what it, well, we should try to figure it out because that seems to be, that could resolve part of the issue. Anyone else? Let's look at the words a little carefully. I'm actually going to pull out two words, fulfill and all, until all is accomplished. Let's just look at them a little more deeply. There are three possible meanings for the word fulfill and I'm not going to make you guess because I'm, if I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I have done all of this work. This is from one of the commentaries that seem to be the most on track on this one. Fulfill, if you look at it, each of these A, B, and C could be a possible meaning for fulfill. And I've put them down in the increasing order of likelihood. So one way you could look at them is to say, when he says, I've come to fulfill them, it means to accomplish them or to obey them, like literally to, to perform the law. And, and then the reason that's not a wrong way to look at it is because we know that Jesus was able to meet all of the technical requirements of the law. So it wasn't that he came and just changed it and lived by those changed rules. He actually was able to completely fulfill the law using definition one, to actually accomplish it, to obey every tenet of the law, okay? A little bit better use of the word, to bring out the full meaning. Jesus is actually fulfilling the law because it pointed to him. It was to culminate in him, which is really what the third one is, to complete it. But before I get there, I just want to back up a little bit to bring out the full meaning. You know when they say that hindsight is like 2020, You can now see more clearly. It's easier to look back and go, yeah, yeah, I could have told you how we should have done that. In a way, Jesus appearing as the fulfillment of the law means that we can now understand and look back a little bit in retrospect and get it a little better. So in a way, he is bringing out the full meaning because now we understand its culmination but really what he's doing is completing it. Let that sink in, because this is hard stuff, man. I, I, I read through these things like three or four times in different versions, different books, because it just kept coming back thinking, it still seems, and I know some of you are looking at me like, it still seems like he's changing it somehow. 
And some of you have pointed out, as Ben has, that there's another passage that we have in Ephesians that actually says he did come to abolish it. Yeah. Well, Paul spends a great deal of time in Romans saying that the law, even before Christ, only leads to sin, that the law itself becomes sin and can't lead to the righteousness of the law. But what I also uh, wanted to point out, it might be the case that when it's talking about law and the prophets, it's not just talking about the Torah. It, it could also be talking about the, all of the Midrash, all of the other laws, the, the smaller laws, right, that come underneath that most of us don't, not recorded here, you know, they're recorded in other Jewish writings, right? The certificate of divorce, for example. See, the certificate of divorce would have been, uh, you know, an afterthought. Part of the law, but not really part of the law. And so there are places where Jesus is changing things. And I think that goes back to your second definition of completing it, or bringing out its true meaning. Because even the law at this point in, in his life had already become, I, it's not corrupted, but it's, it's different than maybe its original intent. Okay, well the reason I agree with you that it probably includes more than just the Torah is because he says, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and Pharisees, of course, paid attention not only to the law, but in every kind of form, as you talked about, the way it was interpreted, the way that additional law was written in, basically like this is the way you have to, quote-unquote, fulfill the law under the scribes and Pharisees' understanding was, was keep all these subsets of the law to be able to do it. Notice he doesn't give any specific preference to one interpretation, and that's what's, that's what's so interesting in this text, because even the Pharisees had a variety, a huge variety of interpretation of, of the law. I mean, you could go to one scribe and one Pharisee and, and get something okay, and Jesus doesn't give us any indication about which letter of the law. You know, he, he just kind of throws out a blanket statement. Okay. If we understand fulfill as meaning to complete it, that begins to give some people the impression that maybe the Old Testament just doesn't apply anymore and its law because he's here to complete it. Okay? Maybe that's that same mention in Ephesians where it's talking about how he's basically doing away with that type of salvation in the law. And you're right, Romans spends quite a bit of time doing that. But let's look at the, this other one until all is accomplished. That's why we, somebody pointed out that we have, we have one translation that actually says, like, again, repeats the until heaven and earth pass away. So one possible interpretation of until all is accomplished is until the end of the world. So why are we talking about this again? Remember, he's saying that not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away until all is accomplished. Until. Okay, so when is that? Well, if it's at the end of the world, then we better be living under all of those rules because he's saying not a single stroke of the law should, should pass away. All right, so that's one interpretation. I think a better one, moving down into a better interpretation, is until all its requirements are met. It doesn't seem to fit what he's saying much either, which is why I think the third one is probably the one that's the best because it actually says until what it looks forward to arrives. That interpretation gives kind of like, it empowers both the fulfill word and the accomplish word to kind of sync up together. It kind of brings them both to an understanding that this was supposed to be the law until it was fulfilled, meaning completed in Christ, 
and accomplished because what it looked forward to, the whole purpose for it, what it was driving towards has arrived. It's tough. So here are four views of what this means. And now I want to hear what you guys think. One view in light of this difficult passage is the Old Testament is inapplicable. Unless specific parts are reaffirmed by Christ, what he said basically makes the Old Testament inapplicable. It's done. It's completed. What it looked forward to has arrived, if you take that kind of view of those words. So the Old Testament is just out. Unless, of course, he specifically reaffirms a certain part of it. And maybe the you have heard it said, but I say to you, is kind of like the new reaffirmation of certain parts. All right? Here's another view. The Old Testament remains fully applicable and is a sin not to follow its commands and regulations. So, no tattoos. All those things we were looking at. I mean, all of that and every other interpretation possible remains fully applicable. And that he meant what he said when he said, if you deviate from these commandments, even the least of them, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. So he's clearly talking to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. He's got that in mind. So those are two views. How about this one? The ceremonial, sacrificial, dietary restrictions of the Old Testament are no longer applicable, but the moral law remains. Now, there's two ways that you get that one. One is just because it's more convenient <laughs> to just do that. You know, somebody just made that up, said, you know what, all that other stuff seems inapplicable, but the moral law of God is still applicable. The other one is because you could say that the ceremonial, sacrificial, and dietary restrictions were applicable for a reason. Jesus replaced some of them. Like, he certainly replaced the sacrificial law because we didn't need those sacrifices anymore. The ceremonial stuff is now inaugurated in what the Holy Spirit will bring into the church. The dietary restrictions people write off because they go, that was for people who were in the desert who didn't have hygiene or whatever it is. They had to be told what to do. So we'll just stick with the moral aspects of the law. That's all we need. All right? That's the third view. And here's a fourth one. We now re-examine our understanding of the Old Testament and the law in light of its fulfillment in Christ. What does that mean? We pick and choose, and like everything else in the church, we break up into camps and fight over what's applicable and what's not, because nobody really knows. Looking at those four views and looking at what Jesus has just said, and I know this is tough stuff tonight, what do you think is really the right answer? Some of you are thinking, I don't care, because who cares about the Old Testament? But actually, Jesus' words are, you need to care. Don't think that you could just get away by ignoring it, but you do need to understand the right way to care. Which one of these is the right view on the Old Testament? I mean, Jesus could have said, it probably would have been easier for us when people challenged him and said, are you abolishing the old law? He's like, hey, I wrote the law. I could change the law. I could do whatever I want. Don't question me. He could have said that. He didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Wouldn't that be kind of the Jesus we want? Like, it's like, hey, who are you? You know, it's like they're just gone. You know, like... Why didn't he do that? Yeah. You're, you're going off of this as like what applies now, right? Sure. Don't you want to know? I mean, if it's true that the Old Testament law applies to us and that he didn't abolish it, shouldn't we like stop eating shrimp? Yeah, we should. It still apply to us. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I want to know the next time I eat shrimp whether that's right or wrong. The way that I was, the way that I was taught was like, you know, none of, we all come short. Like we, could, we couldn't fulfill the law. We couldn't do it. So God had to fulfill it, you know, spiritually and 
you know, physically with the law. And so by him doing that, he made it, you know, he opened up a new, a new law, a new Testament, you know. So you think the Old Testament is inapplicable then, or that what you just said, that would lead to the conclusion that... The Old Testament is used by example, but not by a law. Okay. So the law in it is inapplicable to us as Christians today. You mean the Ten Commandments is a law? I'm talking about every law in the Law and the Prophets. Everything that's written down, we would still read it for its stories. We would still read it for why we needed a Savior, but that's all we would do. And I'm not taking that view. I'm just saying that's the view under A. So don't think that A is saying that we would never even read it, although there are some real extremists. But, but I'm just saying that we'd read it for its stories. We'd see the history. We would celebrate that God did all these things before. They all led up to Jesus, but nothing in it as far as law would apply to us. That's A's view. And you're, is, you're saying, do you agree or disagree with that? Well, I would still disagree with that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a D person. Um, um, I think you have to reinterpret and re-understand the Old Testament through the light of Christ and what he did. Um, you know, when we look at the Sabbath, like the Sabbath doesn't matter, it's not a big deal, and you look at the Old Testament, and you look at God told his people to give the land a Sabbath. It was that important that he would say for a year you were to not plant crops. I don't buy the idea that today just because we're busy, just because we need more money, just because, you know, all our excuses to say, let's work seven days a week. I don't buy that. Like, I think the Sabbath is extremely Okay, but let me work with your ear and D, which is re-examining, right? Okay, so clearly you feel like the Sabbath has been left behind. Okay, how about the tattoos? Is that a law we should live by? How about eating, how about like no pork, no shrimp, no, no, no scallops, you know? And I'm not saying that to be facetious. I'm saying like how do you distinguish between Sabbath is important, but the, those restrictions, like which seem to be dietary restrictions, but the tattoo one is not, it's more of just kind of distinguishing his people from the other religions around him. So today you could say, well, we would be distinguishing ourselves from the other culture around us that, you know, believes in tattoos or whatever. Okay, why do you pick this one and not those? Like, what's the difference? How do you process that? Yeah, those are really tough. I, I see one, I see the Sabbath is throughout the scripture. So you have one, your tattoo law. You have one statement of don't tattoo yourself. And yeah, when you understand that, you know, the pagan people, they did that. And so, okay, God didn't want them to do that. You have one little statement. Now, the Sabbath reappears. I mean, it's probably in the 50, 100 times. I mean, who knows? Yeah, but do not murder is only said a couple of times, right? right. Like, so, like, it's, okay. You know, like, so if you're just going to wait the law based on how many times it's repeated, it seems that's kind of a goofy system. Yeah, it's not as, like I said, it's not, I'm just, I use the numerical one in that case. Right, do, don't, don't hold me to consistency or anything, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the thing is, I think I do try to find what is the heart of this, what's the point of this. Um, you know, no, I don't obey the dietary laws, and at the same time, I think there's merit to it, and I think that maybe we should reconsider as far as at least maybe lessening, like, God cares about our diet. How does that practically affect me? Like now, and yeah, we have worse things like fast food and french fries. Maybe the next time I shouldn't get that because God does. Obviously, his heart is that he does care about the health of his people, and our diet plays into that. Okay. Did you have a comment? Yeah, I agree with you as well. And I think that there's many things in the New Testament that Christ said that um, either does change or uh, reaffirms what the Old Testament says, and specifically the dietary one. He said, that which I declare clean, you should not declare unclean. I mean, he most of them, he goes through and, and either fulfills them or he, he talks about them. 
So I agree with Dee. Okay. Use the word change. And I, I want you to just leave that word hanging right now because in the next couple of weeks, as we actually walk through what he says, like you've heard it said, but now I say, I want you just to think of it. Is he changing? Is this a question I want to leave hanging? Is he really changing it? Or is he just really elevating it to a new level? Which is a common argument that's, then yeah, I want to evaluate that. Is, that. is that a good argument? Are we dodging a difficult question by just saying, well, he's not really changing it. He's just elevating it. Or he's taking it to a new level. You know? And does that even qualify as change? Jeremy. Well, I think that it makes something like C less probable. Because you know, ceremonial, sacrificial, and dietary. Well, yes, that's only three categories. But when you start to analyze the text, when you start to bring in the social social context and the cultural context, I, I can see an explosion of 20 categories, right? Because at some point, they might affect the moral law. So I don't see that clear distinction between, oh, this is moral law and this is not. Okay. Well, this is supposed to be interactive. Let's take a vote. Let's vote. That'll be the law for the church. You know, we're a council. You know, they had the Council of Nicaea. We're the Council of Exodus, you know? We're the interactive forum. <laughs> How many people think that the Old Testament law inapplicable? Raise your hand. Nobody? You guys got some changing to do. So, A, nobody? No, I, I say A. A? We got one for A. B, Old Testament fully applicable. Like, we better be living as much as we can to the best understanding we have of that. Maybe we eliminate the sacrifice stuff because Jesus replaced that, but all the other stuff. The dietary restrictions, all the restrictions about all, you know, just read it all, got to keep it. No tattoos, no shrimp. B, how many people for B? Wow. Okay. C, ceremonial, sacrificial, and dietary restrictions are out, but everything else, moral stuff, you know, love God, you know, be holy, all that kind of stuff, that's in. How many people for C? Raise your hands high. Let's see the C people. D. We're going to re-examine. I got two A and D. We can vote twice. <laughs> what do you think of the third world election? One, two, four, <laughs> six, seven. All right. That's kind of almost evenly split between C and D. Yeah. Here's the only thing I have to offer you on this, because this is really a difficult question. A lot of people reject A and B only because they seem pretty extreme. There are people who follow B, by the way. There are some sects of Christianity that try to follow as much as possible the Old Testament. All right, let me just give you a quote that I thought was pretty good. R.T. France wrote one of the commentaries that I like the most about the book of Matthew. And this is how he, in his words, paraphrases what Jesus just said. So he's trying to put them in a context, now understanding fulfillment, accomplishment, this whole different views test. This is what he comes out with, paraphrasing Jesus. I have not come to set aside the Old Testament, but to bring the fulfillment to which it pointed. For no part of it can ever be set aside, but must be fulfilled, in parentheses, as it is now being fulfilled in my ministry and teaching. So a Christian who repudiates any part of the Old Testament is an inferior Christian. The consistent Christian will be guided by the Old Testament and will teach others accordingly. But a truly Christian attitude is not the legalism of the scribes and Pharisees, 
but a deeper commitment to do the will of God, as I will now illustrate. And then he goes into the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that's just one view. It's one paraphrase. But again, the question is its applicability. So even a commentator who paraphrases and does a really good job of going through all the different words and stuff still leaves us with this kind of like, what do I do practically? And this is what's so hard about this topic for me is because when we look at this, a lot of us could be like, so what? What does this really have to do with me? Well, I think the thing that this has to do with us, I think a lot of us have kind of just ignored the law in the Old Testament. No matter what we really say our attitude is, most of us have just not looked at it in a while or know it very well or care about it that much. I think Morgan alluded to the Sabbath. And I think that's something that we just totally ignore these days. And the real question is, can we continue to ignore it? Or should we be growing as people of faith when we're reading the book of Matthew, we're reading these words, that Jesus is saying, there are some things that maybe you need to re-examine in light of the fulfillment of Scripture. Morgan. Can I just another plug on the Sabbath? You know, I was waiting tables. It was like something you had to really stand for. Like, hey, like I don't work on Sundays. Like, you can put me any other day. You can do whatever you want, but not on Sundays because I actually want to practice this. Like, yeah, our culture just totally throws that out. Like, it has no merit. Like, are you crazy? You know, I mean, it's even something that numerous times I had to even defend to coworkers or, or different things. Like, no, I can't cover for you on Sunday. Like, I'm really sorry, but I just can't. Well, why is it going to be Sunday? Yeah. It, it doesn't. Yeah. Or that's when services begin. Are we talking about... Uh, a moral thing, observance of the Sabbath that we're talking about. The church picks a day, you know, as Christians we all, I mean, you know, I think we start bringing up really good moral questions, but then we start, we start to also become legalistic as we start to try and, you know, set up rules and categories. And, you, know, this. you know what, you're, you're bringing up such a good point. Most of you were in C&D somewhere, all right? And I guess my commentary is C seems kind of arbitrary. You just decide like that, 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 and out, you know? And these are in. Now, that's just a criticism. D is just the problem you highlighted, which is you re-examine it in light of the fulfillment, which is, by the way, the one that I would lean towards. But the problem you come up with is people trying to understand which ones are in, and that could lead to arbitrary. You said legalistic. I actually believe it leads to arbitrary decisions that have to be made. Like, and people starting to come down saying, well, if we are going to live up to the Sabbath, then, then some people are going to say, well, it needs to be this day. And it's like, no, it's a Sabbath. It's, this, it's the spiritual meaning of Sabbath. Somebody's like, no, it's the literal meaning. This is the law. Yeah, it's problematic. All right, what do we get out of this for us? One is there's no way we could walk through a difficult passage like this and punt. I just wasn't going to punt on it. There was a part of me that was just going to skim right through it and go, you know what Jesus was saying here? He's not trying to you know, change the law. He's going to get accused of that. That's not really what's going on. And let's just move on to the Sermon on the Mount. I just didn't think that was worthy of our time. That's not honoring to God to just punt on a difficult question. So we walk through it. Where we're going next is now we're going to look at what he says about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths. He's going to comment on eye for an eye. You've already seen the preview of these. Love your enemies. Okay? You're going to, we're going to go through those, and now we get to actually argue a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to pick on him too much, but why not? A couple of weeks ago, Ryan said, like, if a guy comes into my house with a, you know, in the middle of the night, I'm, I'm going to get my gun and shoot him, right? Okay? And if I remember right, he actually tried to justify that on some sort of biblical ground. So I'm giving you fair warning that I'm going to pick on you when we get to that passage so you can have your biblical... I'm not saying I'm perfect. Right, so. yeah, no. None of us were confused about that at all. It's just... 
<laughs> a lot of times, and remember, I said this last week, I brought this verse up, and, and the verse was coming out of Leviticus, in the midst of the law, as, as, as God was about to announce his sexual purity laws, he was reminding his people, don't be like the Egyptians, whose land I brought you out of, and don't be like the Canaanites, whose land you're going to basically go take over. And our, our job in this place here is to not be like the Americans in some way and to allow like whatever our notions of civic, kind of patriotic, kind of just American notions of culture to allow them to creep into our religion either. So the challenge is, we're going to go through some things and now we get to actually debate, what is he really meaning? Is that really realistic? Is it hyperbole? Is it exaggeration? Is it a literary device to kind of get your attention? Is it for emphasis, or is he really saying things like, pluck out your eye? Is he really saying, turn the other cheek? So that's where we go next to start to wrestle with the real teachings. But I just thought it was honoring to God that we at least take a moment to understand what this difficult thing is, because a lot of people will look at this and say, this is contradictory, what Jesus just did. And I think tonight, at least, it may be difficult to understand, but we start to get a deeper level of he really was honoring the Old Testament, fulfilling it, completing it, and now our job is to figure out how do we live in light of the new covenant with the law still 100% there. What do we do with it? Let's pray. Well, the fact that we could puzzle over just a few paragraphs of your word just shows us the kind of uh, wisdom that you had when you spoke. And Lord, I, I, just, I just feel like we're inadequate sometimes that we so often come up with answers that are maybe satisfying for a moment, but they don't really give us the full extent. And Lord, maybe the way that the Old Testament and the law works together with our salvation and with your new covenant will always be a complete mystery to us. Lord, we know that no matter what, you were the only one that ever could fulfill the law, but you yourself cautioned against us setting aside any part of the law, and we, Lord, just strive tonight to understand what that means. My prayer, Lord, right now is that you let these words just germinate inside of us. Just everything that we talked about here tonight, just your words of Scripture, that we wouldn't just set them aside. The temptation, Lord, is that we'll just set these things aside and go about our week and get busy. Let this week be different. Let us be bothered by the tension that's so often found in your word. Let us continue to go back and just hunger for more of your word and more of this tension until we realize that the great God that we serve is so much bigger than who we are that we will only understand you when we see you face to face. And even then, Lord, maybe never. Pray all this in your name. Amen.